one strike from victory. Two outs. And here's what you pay to see the best ever. Baronta jumps on this pitch deep left field. What's going on, Birdland? Steven here for the Final Strike Broad Podcast, brought to you by the Baltimore Battery. Episode 15 is underway. Uh, pretty good start off to everything. Uh, 15 episodes in, I think uh, we're getting the hang of this, and I think we're moving right along, especially with the positive season that the Orioles are having. It definitely makes things so much more fun. Uh, we're going to kick episode off today by talking about Jordan Westberg. Uh, Jordan Westberg, of course, as everybody knows, got the call and was added up to the 40-man roster a couple days ago. Jose Goodoy uh, was DFA, cleared waivers, and accepted his uh, assignment to Norfolk. Uh, Joey Ortiz was sent back down, and Westberg was added to the 40-man roster. Um, Exciting, Uh, definitely exciting, especially since if anybody followed Westberg, through the minor leagues, everybody knows that him and Gunnar Henderson actually moved up together until AAA, and then Gunnar Henderson made it up to the majors last year and has basically been a fixture there since. So Westberg uh, has uh, 630 at-bats in AAA, um, altogether 1,429 plate appearances through the minor leagues, um, 714 plate appearances in Norfolk. Um Great start. Um, had a lot of firsts in the first game. Received his first walk. You know, he got his first run, uh, first RBI. Of course, the first hit. Um, had his beautiful web gem. I don't know if anybody got to see it. Um, most of us stuck around through the rain to see see it. And if you didn't see it, you know, it was a nice play. Heading running behind second base towards center field, scooped it up and. In the same motion of scooping the ball, flipped it over to Jorge Mateo, who was on shortstop waiting, uh, or on the bag waiting from a shortstop position. They did not turn the double play, but it was so fluid, you'd think that they'd been teammates for years. That's how well this worked out um, to start. So uh, second night, of course, he had his first multi-hit game. Um, he's had two walks. Uh, he does have an RBI. So far, he's slashing 429. Uh, 556 on base percentage and a 429 uh, slugging percentage. So, good start. Um, just want Birdland to, you know, not overreact when he does his first 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. Some things that, that a lot of people don't look into or delve into because they're seeing the basic stats. But when you do what we do, write about the Orioles, you know, look into how th- players are performing – you know, you have to take things into a deeper dive. So we look at things, and throughout his minor league career, he's striking out 23.7% of his plate appearances. Now, a lot of people are like, big deal, you know, he was slashing 295 at 18 home runs in 67 games. But the reason I bring this up, and I discussed this before, when you go from the minors to the majors, It's not always a smooth transition. Some of them come out of the gate hot, and then within a couple weeks, pitchers start figuring out what they can't do. Look at Ellie De La Cruz against the Orioles going into today's game. He was one for 16 with quite a few strikeouts. They were pitching him curveballs because they saw he couldn't hit them. So those are the things that people need to, you know, kind of tender their expectations because of things like that. Across his career in Norfolk, 714 plate appearances, he struck out 20% of the time. Um, 
on top of that, he was walking 10.2% of the time. Once again, the reason I bring this up is everybody is decrying what Jorge Mateo is doing, okay? Jorge Mateo started April out on fire, and one of the biggest things that had changed was he had brought his walk rate up from 4.8% to almost a 12% walk rate. His strikeout rate went from a 27% last season down to close to a 20% this season. He's still roughly around that mark with the strikeouts. He's just not getting the ball in play, and people are freaking out. So when I say tender your expectations, if Jordan Westberg goes into a situation where that starts happening, I don't want people to turn on him like they turn on Gunnar Henderson. Gunnar Henderson had a strong first 35 games in the big leagues. Then everybody saw what happened this year, and for the biggest part of the season, he was batting below 200 because he couldn't hit the off-speed pitches, the curveballs, the sliders, the sweepers, the sinkers, the change-ups. Things have changed, and he started hitting them, but it took so long for him to get to that point before it started clicking. Jordan Westberg has come off hot in his first couple games so far. Defensively, I'm not overly concerned with the guy, but offensively, when you've got a guy in the minor league striking out at over 20% in his career, there's going to be a bigger climb in the majors. Kurt Schilling said this the other day in his podcast. Baseball is fun growing up. It is a game. Once you get to professional baseball, it's a business. And in business, businesses are driven by numbers. Those are the things that people are going to look at. You know, Joey Ortiz, on the other hand, was striking out 19% of the time in his plate appearances in Norfolk and was walking at almost a 12% clip. Those are the things that I'm talking about. And yet, Joey Ortiz came off, started off strong, and then things kind of fizzled out. Then he all of a sudden wasn't getting the playing time. It's a possibility this happens with Jordan Westbrook. Yes, Mateo's not performing up to where everybody wants, but the guy's glove is phenomenal. Adam Frazier, I think people need to temper their expectations, what they're going and complaining about, because they're raving about Adley Rutschman. They're starting to get better with Gunnar Henderson, and yet when you look at the statistics, Adam Frazier is right there in RBIs with both of those players, and that's a guy who's not even playing as much as those two players are. So he might, yes, he's his OPS is under 700. I understand that, but the guy gives you strong defense. He's come up with some very clutch hits. He's not striking out as much as people think he is. The other day when I looked, he had something like 37 strikeouts across 63 games. And then on top of that, he had walked 26 times. So there is a good plate disciplinarian, yeah, plate disciplinarian there in Adam Frazier, like what Gunnar Henderson was doing when he was batting 194, but yet he was still getting on base at a 33% clip because of the walks. So... Sometimes your expectations have to be tempered until you look in further than what the basics are showing. Baseball is not what it used to be where you can flip over the back of a baseball card and because a guy's batting 269 is considered a decent hitter. I was watching a video of Ryan Ripken the other day and he was talking, you know, one of the things that I've always discussed, you know, 
with some friends and everything is in baseball, if you hit three out of every 10 pitches, you're considered a good ball player. But when you think about it in reality, if you get three out of 10 on a test, you know, that's a failing grade. So we're praising failure. You know, Greg Maddox against Tony Gwynn succeeded in 70% of his uh, attempts when facing Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn batted just over 300 against him. But Greg Maddox succeeded 70% of the time. But yet, Tony Gwynn has looked like the better of the two because of what Tony Gwynn had did in his career or had done in his career. So, I just want people in Birdland to understand there will be a period of time where Jordan Westberg goes on an 0-for-20 slump and strikes out 12 times. You know, I, I saw on Twitter today somebody posting something about Adley Rutschman who's in the middle of a slump, and they're like, is it cause for concern? Or is it just a blip? Uh, with Adley Rutschman, I guarantee it's more of a blip. There will be ups and downs throughout baseball that you will see players exceed and players not exceed expectations. You will see them go into horrible slumps, even the best of them. Mike Trout's gone into bad slumps. Otani has gone into bad slumps. You know, players that we revered, Go into slumps. And those are the things that I want people to understand. You know, a guy who strikes out 23% of the time in his minor league career compared to walking just 11% of the time, you've got to be ready to get those expectations tempered because when he starts hitting 230 and 240, are you going to give up on the guy because all of a sudden he's not what the new shiny toy? That leads me into the next category of with Colton Kowser. You know, everybody's, well, Colton Kowser needs to be up if Jordan Westberg's up. No, that's not necessarily how it works. Everybody is on the get rid of Ryan McKenna train. Yes, Ryan McKenna has an option. But you have Cedric Mullins, who's one of the best center fielders in the game, arguably top five center fielders in the game, defensively, offensively. He's a spark plug to the lineup. He leads off for our team and creates opportunities. Austin Hayes is having a career year. He's leading the AL in batting. And then you have Anthony Santander, who currently coming into tonight's game, had homered in five of the last seven games he's played. And, yeah, he's streaky, but he's batting 270. he He's got 14 home runs leading the team in batting. Then on top of that, you get Aaron Hicks, who has played very, very well, you know, since he's come over to the Orioles. You know, he's he's batting over 300 since he's come to the Orioles. You know, how do you take a guy who you're playing the veteran minimum when the Yankees are paying, paying the other $10 million of a salary this year and say, nope, all of a sudden, we want you as our fifth outfielder because Colton Kowser deserves playing time. Colton Kowser has not even played 100 games in Triple A. Okay? We've got to temper those excitement that we got to get these ballplayers up just because we want to see them in the majors. The rotation we have with Hayes, Mullins, Santander, 
picks is what we need. And then on top of that, you have Ryan O'Hearn, who, when Ryan Mountcastle comes back, is going to see time in the outfield. Adam Frazier is going to see time in the outfield when you have Westberg and Gunnar Henderson and Mateo all playing in the infield. You know, and then if you have Santander playing first base, you're going to have Bounty or Ryan O'Hearn DHing. So, you know, you put yourself back in a situation where Kyle Stowers was playing once every four games, if that, and not getting the opportunity to improve or succeed. At this time, the best thing for Colton Kowser is to get the opportunity to play every day instead of sitting on a bench and not playing once but every couple days or four days or five days or things like that. I just want people to stop overanalyzing. Mike Elias has done a phenomenal job with what he's done, what he's built. We've won 49 games. You know, we're going into the All-Star break, you know, in great position that we have the opportunity. If need be, we can make moves. Everybody's crying starting pitching. John Means is throwing off flat ground now again. So he's back on track. We get John Means back in August. Remind mind you, the trade deadline's August 1st. If we can get John Means back towards the end of August into September for a pennant run, insert him into our fifth starting role right now because our fifth starting role is in flux. I mean, between Grace and Rodriguez, Cole Irvin, it's really not been too successful. So we've got to look at things that way that we don't have to make a move. And in this particular instance, unless this move is going to make sure we're going to the World Series, we don't really need to unload talent. I'd like to see what we've got here, you know, mesh together this year and then next year, you know, us take that next step. We shouldn't have to be forced to make a move just to make a move because Birdland says, well, we're this far. We're in the middle of a pennant race. We need to do this. Sometimes you have to let the plan, the blueprints unfold and be built the way they're built. We have a strong team right now. And every day on Facebook, on Twitter, I'm seeing about ways to blow the team up. And I don't get it. We finally have consistency coming from players. You know, we're winning games, we're winning series, and yet people want to blow up the team. So we finally got what we all wanted, and now everybody wants to dissect it. I don't understand it. And which leads me into the next thing. The new MLB Pipeline rankings came out. You know, once again, Orioles top farm system. And it's headlined by the new number one overall pick, Jackson Holiday. And we knew it was a matter of time before that happened. So Jackson Holiday is now the number one overall pick, which means for three straight years, Adley Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson, and now Jackson Holiday, not number one pick, number one prospect overall. Um, on top of that, the Orioles have seven players in the top 80. So out of the top pipeline 100, we have seven players in the top 80. Of Colton Kowser, of course, coming in at number 15. Me personally thinks he should slot in higher. I'd put him in the top 10, but I don't make this list. Jordan Westberg, who just recently got promoted, number 34. Heston Kirstad, who just recently got promoted to AAA, is number 40. Joey Ortiz, who's had his taste in the majors, back down in AAA right now. He's number 67. Connor Norby, who I'm yet to hear people discuss him 
and he's actually predominantly a second baseman. It's number 71. Kobe Mayo, who's having an unbelievable season, he just recently came off a 33-game on-base streak, has won back-to-back Player of the Week awards in the International League. He ranks in at number 80. What's interesting about this is players such as Westberg, Ortiz, possibly Kerstad, Norby, and Mayo are all possible pieces that might be traded. And that's what people aren't going to want to accept either. You know, we have a plethora of players. And on top of that, we're starting to rebuild a catching pipeline again. So it makes me wonder how quickly Birdland's going to turn on a player when they slump for a player that they see down in the minor leagues having a strong season. I discussed this last episode, but Colton Kowser, um, one of the reasons well, it was the last episode, it might have been two episodes ago, but Colton Kowser was striking out more than Westberg was. You know, so, you know, that's one of the things where we temper our expectations again. You've got to look at the whole picture of what's going on. I personally thought Austin Hayes was possibly going to be a trade piece. And then here he comes out and he's leading the AL in batting, having a career. And this is the type, this is the player that a lot of people who watched Hayes come up through the minor league system knew he could become. He's a guy who can hit for average. He's got some power. He's consistently going to hit. He's consistently going to get you, you know, in situations that are going to be crucial and beneficial to the team. I mean, he he was leading the Orioles in a ton of categories. And the guy's just having a phenomenal year. Unfortunately, he's not got voted in for the All-Star game. So I'm hoping he actually gets picked by the manager as an alternate or, you know, he gets put in because somebody drops out, don't want anybody injured, but somebody pulls out because of that or, or another reason, because he does. Austin Hayes definitely deserves it this year. Um, Adley Rutschman, you know, uh, what's cool what Bryce Harper did where he says that, you know, they're helping encourage Phillies fans to vote, vote for Adley Rutschman, and if the Orioles fans could vote for Bryce Harper, you know, we have the Orioles. I call it the, the Orioles. Is what I like to say, but, you know, it's nice to see, you know, I-95s working together to make sure that two of the star players try and start the All-Star game. So uh, it's 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 a great time to be an Orioles fan, but I wish I wouldn't see so much of the people wanting to blow the team up or because of a bad outing get rid of somebody, you know. Jorge Mateo is Jorge Mateo. The guy is a game changer. And yes, I do believe at this time he's slowly being phased more to a platoon, if not a a role play utility player type. Um, Hyde even said, you know, between the five players on the infield, and he was talking about Gunnar Henderson, Mateo, Urias, uh, Westberg, you know, those players are going to rotate through on those positions, Adam Frazier, rotate through on those positions um, based off matchups. Um, you know, I saw a few people complaining the other day about Hyde not having an everyday lineup. You go across baseball, there there's not an everyday lineup. You know, the everyday lineup is, is gone. The, the days of your starting pitchers going seven, eight, and 
even nine innings, is gone. The game is driven by metrics. The game is driven by, you know, what this player does in this situation against this particular pitcher, against this time of day, in this particular type of ballpark. It's all metric-driven. And those uh, those stats are instantly being updated and fed to the managers and coaches all game long. I mean, the other day they were showing um, Dean Kramer, who was looking at an iPad with Chris Holt. So those those are numbers that are being consistently updated and reviewed instantaneously. And that's where the game's at. You do not have everyday lineups anymore. Cal Ripken's record of 2,132 consecutive games, it's a lot more than that, but, I mean, the 2,632 consecutive games will never be broken. And it's because baseball doesn't exist in that time frame anymore. You're not going to see a player who can be penciled into the lineup Seven days a week if you have seven games. Six days a week if you have six games. It's it's not going to happen. Yes, you'll see players getting four days, five days a week, but you're going to see other players who aren't. I mean, Adam Frazier leads the Orioles in games played. What's that tell you? I mean, over Adley Rutzman, who's pretty much played most of the games. You know, it's very rare when he gets a day off. So those are the things that, you know, got to be paying attention to is we call for an everyday lineup, but then we complain when we get certain players in the lineup that we don't want or because it's not a player that we want to see come up from the minor leagues. It's just a matter of time when Colton Kowser comes up that we start hearing about Heston Kerstead. Then when Heston Kerstead's up, it's going to be Kobe Mayo. Then it's going to be Connor Norby. Then it's going to be Dylan Beavers. Then it's going to be um, Creed Williams. I mean, it, the list just goes on and on and on. I, I'm really shocked I haven't heard anybody start clamoring for Grayson Rodriguez again because the kid is actually pitching extremely well right now. So I don't understand. Everybody's talking about we need bullpen help, and yet when you look down in the minor leagues, we have plenty of arms available throughout the league. I keep waiting for Nick Vespi to get the call. He's a lefty with options, and – you know, with Cyanel Perez struggling, Vespi's a perfect player to bring up. Joey Crable's actually having a pretty decent season for AAA, and he helped us out pretty much last year. He's another arm that could be brought up. These guys aren't on the 40-man roster, so you don't hear people discussing them anymore. Uh, Den- Noah Denewire, he actually uh, was waived off the 40-man roster to go in Norfolk, and he's our 27th-ranked prospect right now. So, you know, we have players down in the minors that could accommodate and play in the bullpen for us if need be. Uh, I know people are frustrated bringing in Bruce Zimmerman and then bringing up, uh, we had Spencer Watkins at one point. Then we actually had Cole Irvin before we brought him back as the fifth starter. We need to let things play out and see where they lead instead of saying blow the team up or Get rid of this person or this person. Uh, I've seen posts the last couple of days on Twitter and on Facebook talking about these are players we should target at the trade deadline. Why? We finally have a team that's come together, and now we want to get rid of the team. Somebody explain to me why. Explain to me what's going on that Birdland finally has 
a team that's built the right way, has a pipeline of talent all the way down to the Florida Golf Clubs League, and we still want to blow the team up and get rid of our prospects and do what Dan Duchette did from 2012 to 2016, where by the time everybody was past it, we had nobody to bring up in our system. We were running with plan C and D free agents to fill holes. And that's why it took Mike Elias the time frame it took to get to where we are. And now for three consecutive years, we've had the top prospect farm system in the majors. We've had the number one overall prospect for three years in a row. And yet people still aren't happy. So I don't know. Um, Hopefully, you know, the winning continues because I'm afraid if we go on a long losing streak or we start, you know, playing 500 ball. I'm afraid of what Birdland's going to (laughs) do. Anyway, on that note, we're going to close things off here. Uh, I want to thank the Baltimore Battery for giving me the opportunity. Don't forget to head on over to thebaltimorebattery.com. Check out some of the articles we have out there. Uh, I, myself, recently released an article uh, about Jordan Westberg's first game in the majors. Uh, Had an article come out about the Orioles, you know, with the number one farm system and overall prospect. Uh, Zachary Bucklow, you know, he discussed – uh, the most recent um, most recent Orioles to win awards, and then he even has a piece out that talks about um, players that were in the College World Series uh, that play for the Orioles. You know, he's got some draft pieces coming up. Uh, Jason Benowitz has a really good article that came out Father's Day. Uh, you know, so there's plenty of articles for you to check out. Uh, all the writers there at the Baltimore Battery, you definitely want to read their pieces and see what they have. Uh, follow us on Twitter at the Be More Battery. Uh, you can follow the Final Strike, which is now on Twitter at the Final Strike underscore at the end. Myself, Twitter at SRJ Heckman. Um, Baltimore Battery and myself are on TikTok under those names as well. Uh, so don't forget to check out the BaltimoreBattery.com. I want to thank our sponsor, Scooters for Rent. If you're ever on the Eastern Shore in Delaware or Maryland uh, and you need any mobility products ranging from mobility scooters to beach wheelchairs, electric wheelchairs, manual wheelchairs, even lift chair recliners, give them a call at 302-280-6203. Make sure you tell them that Steven sent you from the final strike. Other than that, Birdland, until next time, I want to thank you for listening. Thank you for your support, and peace out. A spawn is one strike from victory. Wow. And here's what you pay to see the best ever. The Rawlinson and Jensen on this pitch. Deep left field. Go!